Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Ahu. Short U. Long A. Ahu. <laughs> uh, Dural. And is that German? No, it's Turkish. Completely Turkish, like the um, first name and the surname. And Ahu means gazelle in Turkish or antelope. <laughs> and yeah, and Dural is, is like a quite normal name but uh, it's only only our family has this name and our family is quite big i think maybe 500 members <laughs> or something that's and, very large uh, yeah but there are many people that i don't know but i really know from the dura side i really know like 80 people <laughs> like i have met them Still in really my life large. and yeah that's quite large it's but most of them live in turkey just a very small part is like one uncle is living in berlin and so and my dad dad came here so he had the name right so we only have like two dural guys that brought the name to berlin <laughs> which actually lends to my my general first question which is okay <laughs> how did how did you even get to being a creative person so it would it was your, somebody in your family creative did you have mm -hmm. some early teachers some life mm -hmm. experiences like how did you even come yeah. to it I was the first child of my parents and we were living in a, I would say, labor district in Berlin. And both of my parents were actually just workers. So my mom wasn't even, when I asked my, whenever I asked my mom like to draw me a, a human being or an, uh, something else, like a, an animal or something, she, she was really not able to draw. Like I, I could figure as a child, oh, uh, this is something my mom never did, like having drawing or sitting down. She was mostly playing with her siblings, being outside at the town that she came from. And, but my dad, my dad was the creative person. He was also working. Uh, he, he wasn't working cre creatively in Germany when he came to Germany, when he was like beginning of 20s. But in the town that he came from, he started very early, like with 15 years or something, when he was 15, he started to make the typings, the typography of companies on, on their cars. He was handwriting in a very beautiful way, uh, advertisement on cars. So I got my creativity a little bit from him. And then I started to draw a lot as a child. I think I didn't really have too many toys which was more common in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, today we have less, everybody has like less children and these, this small amount of children per family, they have so many toys. I didn't, and I didn't feel, felt the need so much. So my mom said I was drawing a lot. <laughs> and in the school, it went on. I was known as the girl that could draw. <laughs> and it went on and on. And I think... It was also the outside world that made me think, yeah, maybe this is one skill that I'm more good at. So I should be, I should keep on with this skill. But professionally, I started actually doing this. There was a long break. And then professionally, I started to think about becoming an artist when I was 27. Okay. It's a little late for most people. Yeah, a little late. 
I didn't study in the beginning. I was working in cafes. I was I was I was doing illustration jobs without having a study degree. When I became 25, I thought, "Whoa, maybe I should get an academic degree." This was just my own my own need. I wanted to have it suddenly. I wanted to study and yeah, and then I went on uh studying illustration first. We called it here Visuelle Kommunikation, visual communication, design more, uh, but to say it better. And then I started to study that in Berlin. And then I felt the need to really move away from here and, and study art. I, I had to change. I had to change something. I wanted to leave the town. I wanted to live in another city. So I went to Vienna. And that was a very, very good decision. And the happiest years kind of started from there. I, I started at the Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna. And my professor, Monica Bonvigini, she kind of picked me from all the, uh, she kind of picked me out from the ap applicants because I didn't apply for her. I didn't know I would study sculpture. She picked me out in a way, and she's also a very, she's a very, very good drawer. And so I felt very good in, in that class and in that academy. I looked through your CV right. and everything, and you do, you do or have done, I'm not quite sure the clarity on this, uh, both sculptural works and two-dimensional works. So what's the, what's the uh, genesis? So you started in 2D and you went to 3D, or because it looks like you actually did 3D first and are currently doing 2D. When I told you a little bit about my childhood, that was always 2D, never 3D. <laughs> I got inspired also as a child from photographs or from magazines. And then I always did something in 2D. 3D was never a question. But I think if you want to become a good drawer, you have to think in 3D. You have to understand things in 3D. You have to construct in 3D, and if you do a constructional drawing, it also it also should work. So you have to think in a way in 3D, but I always worked 2D. And when I was starting at the Academy of Fine Arts, I applied mostly with drawings. And then also in that process of applying there, you had to do works. And there I also just did drawings. I showed them drawings that they did there in three three days or something. And they were all 2D. But what I drew was very spatial. If you would have seen the drawings, you could think, yeah, you could make like a sculpture out of it, out from what I was drawing. <laughs> so it looked like, actually, it looked like sculptures that I was drawing abstract things, uh, things that you know from your household. But I combined them in a way that you would think like, oh, it's, uh, it looks like a strange, but also familiar object, <laughs> object metamorphose. metamorphose. Okay, I've got a question because I, I generally am a photographer and I work on paper and things like this, super easy to store and all this. Yeah. What do sculptors do with their artwork when they don't have it on exhibition? Do you have to like rent a storage unit or do you incorporate it into your house? Like, How, how do you deal with the, the excess stuff that's not uh, procured? In my case, I would say all of that. <laughs> 
what did you say? Uh, what did you use as a word when I take something and put it in my like, incorporate? Oh, incorporate. I incorporated maybe two or three objects that also looked a little bit like furniture, abstract furniture, like an element of a furniture. I incorporated in our household. I even repainted it or something was sold then it was gone this is actually everybody would say the best option <laughs> but actually i always felt very uh sad yeah i i sometimes feel sad when something's going away i want to reproduce something that looks a little bit the same and then i have some things in my basement which is probably not the very best idea but our basement is quite dry so nothing can really happen it's under our flat <laughs> and then uh the other part Yeah, what else? I have to say, I I mostly produced things that you could make smaller. Like I, I produced different parts. You have to build up and then you can uh, build it down again. And this was even my first huge sculpture that I produced at the university. It was something that looked like a big spider, not spider, but like a coupole. You know, these dresses that they had like in the 18th century? Sure. Yeah. The big, big puff, puffy dresses. Puffy dresses that, that have like the shape of architectural like cupola. 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 Yes. And it had 13 pieces. If you put the 13 pieces together, like the legs, the 12, it was like a skeleton that if you, that, that if you put it together, it has the shape of what I wanted to have it as a shape so yeah there are different ways but the very very big and known artists that i know of course they have storages they have huge uh, studios they they put half of it they put one one fourth of it in their studio one part is at an exhibition the other part is at a rented yeah place and so on and so on Well, and that's the stories I've heard. And that's why I always wonder about yeah. sculptors. Because like, yeah. I know a guy that does stone sculpture and he has yeah. to spend like 20,000 yeah. euros a year just in yeah. storage fees for yeah. it. Yeah. I have some sculptures that are as big as a door, I would say. Like, yeah, so that you understand that I don't have sculptures that are as big as a car or as big as a bus. And also, I try to make things that you can, yeah, build down and build up. And Which is not always so nice because, of course, you want a sculpture to be very solid and to stand as itself, like be, without doing anything. But every sculpture, no matter how produced, has a difficult time. You have a difficult time when transporting to somewhere. You have to build something as a, like a box or whatever. And yeah, for me, it was a little bit easier. I did uh, metal things uh, that you could wrap and then had. The, which had wooden elements that weren't so heavy and we all make work that's sort of mm -hmm. relevant to our life you know, mm -hmm. like if you're in a small apartment you're not going to make big work and if you're in a big yeah. a big studio mm -hmm. oftentimes you're not going to make small work either so right. like you artists have this ability to sort of fill up whatever space they're given with the scale of work they're they want right. to make 
That's right. Oh yeah, I have to add something to that. What you just said about the size of about the size of your studio. When I studied in Vienna, my professor Monica, she had studio space there, which you maybe shouldn't call like you, you shouldn't call it her studio space. It was like the classes, in a way, the classes studio space. You had to in a way apply with a project, and you could use this space. And that was a hundred square meter space which was 10 meters high i i don't know what it is in inches but it was like a cube of 100 cubic meter so mm -hmm. a very huge a very nice and very huge space and when mm -hmm. i had this space i had it several times in these five years i produced collages paper collages that were one was as big as a double size mattress or something so, yeah. And now I have maybe a 25 square meter space, but with a very nice big table, a white table, which I love. And I really decided now to produce collages, not bigger right now, not bigger than 30, not bigger than like, maybe like this. <laughs> so quite small. Yeah, A3, you could say approximately i mean i change i change a little bit here and there i'm never too constant in, in the sizes and i thought like this is maybe a better idea because you cannot do one huge sculpture that takes like the entire room you cannot think you cannot go back and forth and i need to go back and forth to find the right composition and, yeah. oh i totally understand i'm mm. currently working in a two-car garage as two my car studio garage, yeah mm -hmm. so not well and half of that so one car of that is actually just storage of old works yeah. so really i'm only working in a one-car garage but it, mm -hmm. it it technically is two car and yeah you can't get the distance like you can't work large in small spaces because mm -hmm. you need to be able you know every piece of art has sort of the appropriate distance and the larger the piece you make the more distance you need to be away from it to yeah. get a nice sense of it and be able to work with it well so yeah i mean the the amount of space available to an artist oftentimes dictates what they end up producing Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just thinking it would be maybe a little bit different with sculptures. You could empty out the room and produce one sculpture. This is sometimes more possible than, than to produce a huge painting in the same room because you have to sometimes go further away from the painting than from a sculpture. A sculpture is something that you touch when building, that you, yeah, that you, uh, you look at your, the proportion of your body and then uh, at the proportion of the sculpture and paintings are a little bit different. They are like a, a world or collages. They are something to look at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you, did you have problems with storage and so on? With storage? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I hate having to store stuff. It drives uh -huh. me nuts. I'd rather all of it be sold. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of those conversations that I have a lot where some people say that they want to produce their work and then they'll want to, they would rather hold on to it until mm -hmm. they find the, the right collector or the right mm -hmm. person to own it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm personally more of a, 
sort of an Andy Warhol philosophy like, yeah. that I, I'd rather everybody have a, a piece of my art for a little bit lower price than yeah. a few people have it for a very high price. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'd rather just get it out there. I, I, it does no good sitting in my studio as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm sure uh, my if I had a gallery, I'm sure they would probably disagree with me because they <laughs> want works in good collector places with high prices and all that. Mm -hmm. So, I think art should be approachable. But the smaller works are mostly more approachable than the bigger works, right? <laughs> or more, uh, there are more museums which would buy the bigger works than the smaller ones. Or... Well, but there are less museums buying those bigger works. So it's, yeah, it, but it's we also a, have a storage problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this the whole thing is a whole series of chicken and the eggs. Like you can make big works for museums, mm -hmm. but not all not enough museums are buying works necessarily. And then they can't necessarily store them either, mm -hmm. you know, and then, but on the other hand, you can make small works because they sell better and all this kind of stuff, but then you just need to sell more. So then mm -hmm. that's a whole different issue that I've tried right. to figure out how to do that. And what do you actually think about destroying uh, certain works and reproducing them when somebody wants it? What is, what is your idea on that? Or what do you think about that? Because I also know artists that, work on that basis because they have uh, materials that they have found somewhere that they incorporated into an installation and then when they have to do the same installation again it varies a little bit and i'm not against it i don't, yeah. I don't have a, no it <laughs> yeah. doesn't bother me i mean it's yeah. as long as it's still the original artist mm -hmm. reproducing the art now i mean some yeah. you know some apprentice reproduced it that's a bit questionable but If it's still the artist and it's still their idea, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, that doesn't concern me. Okay. I thought you were going to ask about destroying art. I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm fine with that too. <laughs> I would have a very, very hard time with destroying my collages because they consist out of a lot of different pieces of drawings, like something cut from that drawing, something that I found from somewhere totally different. Uh, but I would have less a problem with destroying a drawing because I think like, yeah, I can reproduce it again a little bit quickly than a collage. And yeah, and some some sculptures I, I also wouldn't destroy because I have put so much work into it. But if it's a piece that, if it's a material that is just taking a space, I would maybe reuse it. And then if I need to exhibit this, specific sculpture again then i would just like reproduce this one element or something yeah yeah i mean yeah there are different ways it, it depends on how precious you are about it and how mm -hmm. yeah and and also you know to a certain point i'll even say it part of it is is what kind of a artistic career or reputation you have created for yourself so whatever persona you've created that like everything you do is original and it's one of a kind mm -hmm. unreproducible like that could be your mm -hmm. artistic persona and so in that case bad idea to do that yeah. but if but if you make a your entire career based on like yes i can reproduce these things yes i can mm -hmm. reuse these things and you do mm -hmm. this throughout your career then yeah the one that the, the that's the way you want to do it, do it that way. Yeah. Embrace it. From your website, I saw a very large scale 
collages and stuff, but now you say you're making these smaller works. Yeah. Are you working with galleries? Do you have representation? So like, you know, how are you getting your works out to the public? Mostly by exhibiting, I would say. <laughs> I don't have a gallery that represents me, but I was guest artist in two galleries that where I where I exhibited with an artist that was represented in, in that gallery. And on the other hand, I have I have a friend circle where people are collecting things, but don't misunderstand me. They are not these these friends are not like huge art collectors. They they started some of them started is it because uh, they are a curator or because they they have built themselves a nice home where they started to collect from their artist friends. So some of my works are actually hanging in in, in apartments, and then once in a while people want to come to the studio and see one or the other work in original. So it's it's a little mix out of yeah exhibitions, studio visits, friend circle. What did I forget? <laughs> yeah, but not I'm not being presented by a specific gallery yet or by many <laughs> galleries. I mean, even the bigger artists, they need like more than one gallery to to get the business rolling. <laughs> well, and there are also other avenues. There's also online sales, oh, yeah. you know, those yeah. kinds of things. Like, do you do anything with that? Not yet. I mean... I I have a close uh, curator friend, uh, Victoria Deaco. She started, even, I think, even ten years ago with uh, doing exhibitions in her flat that became a gallery, and then she worked for big museums and so on. And she also invented an app with another, together with another uh, guy that I uh, that I don't have the name of right now. But she invent she invented a, a, an app where where you can put your work online with prices and with everything that you want to enter as an info. And they wanted this app, this program to also become like a market, but at the same time, like a catalog, like an open source catalog for curators, for collectors, for artists themselves to have like an archive, an online archive, which can also function as a, as a selling plat platform, you could say. This is the thing that I started. Like I, I have my works or a part of it uh, online and on that app. It's called, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I forgot the name of the app. I have to look, I have to look. Simplify Art. <laughs> Simplify Art. Uh, but on the other hand, no, I'm not, I'm not presented online. I think I, I would have to, even though I would get the offer or even though I would apply, I would look what kind of market, that, like what kind of website that is. Because that can also be very different. Well, that's the thing. Like, from my opinion, I believe there's far too many of these things already existing. You know, there's yeah. Saatchi art. There's, of course, social media, yeah. Instagram that people yeah. try to sell their works through. There's having your own website and doing your yeah. own e-commerce kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, and I feel like at the moment there's 
too many platforms and I wish yeah. they would somewhat consolidate down to make it a little bit easier, yeah. both as a seller, you're a producer yeah. of a product and as a buyer, I feel like it would help to yeah. consolidate the looking. Yeah. I mean, let's say you, you are somebody who wants to get art for your flat, then probably you would start first going to galleries i would think but if you don't have the access to these galleries you or if you just want to check it out online you would do it online but then you have to go through all of these offers that you just said i think it's rather common that a person uh, tries out the market that somebody told them about like right that somebody said it was good and and check that out or or oh, yeah. friends of people who who have something like that who sell online and yeah you first go to your local dealer right <laughs> first i mean <laughs> or not <laughs> you'd be amazed how many people don't though that's the thing is they a lot of people that i talk to yeah. jump like they they make their art in their studio and then they yeah. jump straight to this international market ah, like i'm gonna okay. sell on sachi and mm -hmm. do it on instagram and try for that mm -hmm. but like I find that in Europe, there's a much stronger focus on starting locally and building your reputation and then later yeah. expanding out to some sort of international market. And they, they, they know how to build their careers better than in America, where they think you can just be like a YouTube star and sell oh, your okay. stuff or whatever. Yeah, it's probably in many cases doesn't have substance, right? I mean... It's also a question of if if you produce work to offer it online, uh, then the work I think has some has some issues. <laughs> it's probably not the not. It's my opinion. I think it it's probably not the best produced artwork on earth. Uh, you have to uh, do your process, and if you do the process for the internet then maybe the process is not good enough but of course i'm i'm thinking about specific kind of works if you do if you do videos that are based on internet topics or that i mean it's two it's uh, different cups of teas right if you have collages that you have no images that you don't need topics from the internet from and they where you have to put a lot of energy into it or uh, silent where you need silence to produce them then i think it's not so good to first think about offering it online does it work online does it work on instagram and then if you see it in real it looks you're sometimes disappointed as a collector maybe <laughs> I often had the problem that I saw some, some some work in real and then I was so disappointed. I was like, why isn't it really working in my eyes or is not so well made? No. Oh yeah, I I come from a photographic background mm -hmm. and color uh, is a huge issue with ah, the yeah. internet mm -hmm. because every browser, every operating system, every monitor, every phone, the mm -hmm. colors are different. Like there's no consistency of mm -hmm. color or or contrast or saturation or any of these mm -hmm. things. So it's not calibrated. Same 
standard everywhere. Well, there is a standard. Unfortunately, nobody uses it, but yeah. it does exist. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, nobody does it. But uh, yeah, I mean, professionals have a standard calibration between yeah. them. So professionals can, can see it correctly, but everybody else sees it wrong. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to upload some images to a website and like they look fabulous in Photoshop on my computer and then I put them on a website and they're just they look like mud they're just horrible they've lost all their saturation and all yeah, their yeah. their beauty yeah. to them and it's just flat mm. and that's a problem yeah because especially you, for photography for, yeah for photography art yeah but even art if it's colorful you know because mm. like if somebody were to buy a piece online and they think mm. it's a certain color and then it arrives and it's a completely different color mm. that's a problem I jump a little bit from that topic, but it's also the same when you buy on when you buy shoes online. <laughs> they oh, look yeah. so well because the photography is so well, and then in real, you're so disappointed. <laughs> My wife bought a dress a couple months ago that it looked red and it was gorgeous, and then it mm -hmm. showed up and it was orange. Mm -hmm. Like no, mm -hmm. I don't know how. Mm -hmm. Having things, objects photographed for the online market. It became more important that it looks good online than in real, actually. Yeah, this is this is maybe the biggest problem with that. Well, I've had conversations with curators where they like yeah. they sort of jokingly say, but I'm not sure it's a hundred percent joking, mm -hmm. is that more or less like you do an exhibition and you you have the opening and all that, but really you're doing it all so that you have the beautiful images to be able to put onto social media, the documentation to say, yeah. this is what my exhibition looks like. This yeah. is what these pieces look like in reality and scale yeah. to a person when presented well and lit beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, a person that is able to photo to photograph your exhibition very well is so important. I found such a person in Vienna. He's so good in making images of your exhibition. And there is also such a big quality difference between people. It has to be, it has to be neutral. It has to be I would say sober in German, you would say nüchtern. So it ha has to look very sober. It has to look very clean. And this is what I really like. Yeah, I like very well photographed art, even though I couldn't find a, a good photography here in Berlin that has the same quality. I didn't, I didn't uh, look, I didn't maybe search uh, too long, but having good documentation is really important. This is really important. For yourself, for the internet, for everything, for like in 20 years, when you look at your work again, and this is the only thing that is left. Yeah. But I also have like shots of pieces with my iPhone, <laughs> of course. And I also, in my last catalog, I also mix them, the very well photos and then the cell phone photos and the, the paper from my catalog. It was, uh, how would you say, it had some texture. So mm -hmm. it didn't mind. We wanted that optical thing but when it becomes to what you said before like that the work doesn't look good and real and then you have a hard time <laughs> well that, but that comes down a lot of that also comes down to like craftsmanship as well well yeah a lot of art that's offered online you can polish it up and make it look really great in a mm -hmm. photo but maybe it's yeah. not that beautiful or well crafted in reality yeah don't get me wrong. I'm still a huge advocate of gallery spaces and institutions. I mean, I love mm. being able to see art in yeah. the real. I find that 
it doesn't like you it's very difficult to grasp the scale and the and yeah. the sort of the the impact of it, of something from a picture like everybody yeah. jokes about the mona lisa because everybody thinks it's poster sized because they always see it as a poster no, it's not but quite it's, big. it's not no it's, it's not like, it's very, is it a3 or bigger i think it's a little bit bigger a4. i think or no it's smaller it's a4 i thought i think it's i think it's it's between a3 so a4 somewhere in that range than this here <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. it's nowhere near as big as everybody thinks it is. Mm -hmm. Everybody, but you know, it's the the reality is always a little bit more impressive for me. I mean, I also saw her, but I forgot about how small the painting was. I mean, people, human beings, were smaller a hundred years ago. <laughs> and studios even, were probably smaller. Yeah, <laughs> some had big studios still. <laughs> no. All right, let me move on to some other sort of a businessy sort of business of the arts kind of questions. I've seen that you've done some residencies and some things like this. Yes. I've done some, but I'm not I would say not really the residency person. Yeah, you can just ask. <laughs> well, well that's great to hear. I want to hear about like how maybe residencies weren't great for you because everybody always says, "Ah, oh, residencies were marvelous. They opened these great doors for me and offered all these great things." Like I would love to hear a not okay. such great residency story. Oh, okay. I don't I don't have a You don't have to name story. names. Okay, I don't have but I don't have a specific story in mind right now. But what I see at my colleagues is that they are so stressed out. Some of them are stressed out because they do one or two residencies a year or maybe more. They, yeah, they, they have, every time they have to produce something like a robot, they go somewhere, then they have to adapt to that. I love to live in another town for three months or something, but they have all the pressure to do a residency, to have a residency in your CV and all of that. I have the feeling it's not, it's not anymore. It's not anymore about the work or about finding the essential of your work to build up a work. It's often about, it's often about the CV, right? It's often about to, to show that you have been in, in um, I don't know, in, in, in Poland, Russia, New York, wherever. But on the other hand, it's true that you get a lot of friends uh, that have the same struggle or the same success and that you connect to other artists for that, like to connect with other people that do the same as you that is something really great for me five years vienna living at least five years in vienna that felt like a long very long and very nice residency to live somewhere for a few years in an environment that you didn't know before that can also be a residency <laughs> but these three months here three months there i don't know i i mean i i lived uh, I had a residency in Istanbul, but that was even before I started studying art. I kind of uh, find out, found out on my own, like how to apply for something like that. And also the EU, they are offering things like that, like lifelong learning, doing your profession somewhere else. I was a freelance illustrator, so or a freelance a person that was drawing so I found my way to do something like that and I really enjoyed every day of it 
uh, and I actually wanted to stay longer. But yeah, I'm I'm more like the maybe like the. I mean, I also like consistency. I like to live at one place or two. Let's say two because I also jump back and forth with Vienna and Berlin. Uh, well, I always say that like to be creative, I find I find for me what works best is mm -hmm. a certain amount of consistency or a certain mm -hmm. amount of routine or regimen mm -hmm. or things that are common that 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 work the same every time allows me for the randomness of the absurd to happen that becomes the impetus for the creative thing. So like mm -hmm. a certain amount of regime and it allows for a certain amount of freedom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is another topic that I would like to add to this residency thing. If you have a family, if you have a child or two or three, it's really a bigger problem to do residencies because, as you know, not every residency space says, hey, your family is welcome. Also, you have to consider, do I want to take out my child from school or kindergarten or whatever to stay three months somewhere else? Some people really love it and the children enjoy it. And some think, yeah, probably it's better that the environment stays the same for the child. But you have to also figure out if you want to stay away that long. But there are also some places, some residency places, which really like that you take your child or partner with you. It depends, of course. And I have to admit, just three days ago, I actually applied for a residency. I didn't do it for a couple of months or more than a year. I didn't apply for something like that. But it's something that is very close to my living place it's not that far away it's like one hour away and i thought that's actually super nice because i will have a totally different environment it's outside of town it's in the woods i would say and this could also be very yeah this is something i would consider right now as something i would really love to do <laughs> I love your topic about families and having children and all this kind of stuff. I think that that's something that's not really talked about enough in the arts world. Uh, specifically, I mean, I've spoken with a number of women who have issues where like the arts industry, let's say, is not super supportive of families and children um, in various different ways. So I guess the question would be, have you had any negative repercussions or impact on your career due to the fact that you chose to have i don't know how many kids do you have uh, just, one. just, just one just one <laughs> by choosing to have children uh, one thing that i really want to say that is really important is that when you don't when you are when you're childrenless you are able to of course you are more able to go out and do travels and residencies and go to openings more or spend more time with your colleagues or people that are uh, connected to the art, art world. So to, to put this short, you're able to do better network outside. This is probably something that everybody <laughs> thinks or knows, like 90% of the people, I would say, because you can also connect with people probably from your computer but not in a way that is intensive i would say so you have to really meet people you have to go i i i talked very negative about these residencies but i don't think they are negative i mean you you connect with people there and 
And this is something that you cannot do so well anymore when you have a child because it takes also a lot of energy to deal with other people and you have also a ch child that takes a lot of energy. And so w what the problem that I had is that even the last minute before I got a child, I could be connecting to everybody. <laughs> I'm actually also a person that can connect fast with a stranger. I love to like talk to somebody that I don't know. So sometimes it's more hard for me to talk to somebody that I know very well. Yeah, and that, that kind of stopped. It didn't stop, but it became less. So all the projects that came to be me by connecting with others, they at some some point they stopped, of course, because I would have to network more, but it's not possible to do that every day when you have child. So this is a difference, the, the networking time that you don't have too much anymore. But on the other hand, you learn so much by being a parent As an artist, there are you learn about other ways to connect to the artwork, to find colleagues, to find new colleagues. And one thing for me was something that I found out for me is to make a short travel to somewhere, a place that really interests you, a place where you really want to see one the one or the other exhibition, or go to a certain museum that you always wanted to go to. So, for example, in February, I went on a three-day trip to Paris. I haven't been in Paris for 15 years. I went there as a, when I was a high school student. And I went there and it was these three days. They felt like three weeks. This was my residency. <laughs> it was my own residency. I, I like to do like things on my... I, I like to do things on my own. And I connected to many people that are in the art world. And I saw an exhibition of Charlotte Perriand at the uh, Fondation Louis Vuitton. I really wanted to see that exhibition. She's like my idol. It's, she's an architect that did a lot of great things. And she's very inter her, her pieces, her furniture, her thinking is very interesting to me. So I went there actually only to see that museum exhibition. But on the other hand, before and after going to that museum, the, the day before, the day after, I went to see everything that I was interested in and I recognized Paris again. And yeah, this is my way to do networking, actually, to be on my own for two or three days. And you can do a lot in three days. <laughs> Absolutely. If you, if you are alone. <laughs> you said that you recently applied for some residencies. One of my big things is trying to figure out how to do artist statements. Uh, I'm horrible at them. I feel like I'm too close to my artwork to give like a good... Mm -hmm eloquent expression, you know, like, uh, I'm too emotionally involved and I'm too close to it oftentimes. And I, I, can't, I, I don't have the perspective and the distance to be able to truly understand what my work is about per se. And I feel like curators and outside writers sometimes are often better at writing these kinds of statements on behalf of artists. What's your position on this? How do you feel about statements and having to write them these days? For me, it's like that. I'm a person that sometimes start writing 
without thinking. I, that's why I'm also not afraid to write. I can, you can tell me, yeah, you can ask me something and I can, could write you a letter and answer it without any problem. I wouldn't think about it an hour before I start. But this is also a problem because if you write very impulsively, you need somebody to correct it from the content part. And I like actually that I function like that. I like to be impulsive and write down everything that is in my mind because for me it's like pulling everything out that I think about my art, that uh, how my how my work make, makes me feel, why I do things. And then I actually really, really need another person that I can trust to correct it, but to correct it in a way that is, of course, not only the pronunciation, <laughs> the, the spelling and the grammar, To also grammar. Grammar is also a big question. <laughs> I need another person that knows my work a bit or that knows me a bit better and that is way better in writing than I could be because I repeat oft I repeat too often I write too many too too long texts and there I have somebody who can really interpret what I want to say and change just actually makes it shorter and changes the sentences a bit and in the end it needs to be a well-written text this is my opinion and if I'm not able to to make it perfect and all that I want to say is in that text then I think there is nothing wrong to have that kind of person that is better in writing but I also dealt with curators and and other people that had to write a text about my work. These people, they put so much energy in it and they want to also make a very good job. And this is what curators, most of them have studied. They have studied to write about art. And for them, the, this text that they write about your art or the exhibition, for them, this is their work. And so I'm also sometimes hesitating to say, yeah, maybe this or that sentence is not fitting to my work or is, yeah. So I have a hard time in, in um, giving feedback <laughs> to curators because I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to mess up their work. And in the end of the day, I read their text again and then I think, hey, it's actually so perfect and this is their work and I like that they put so many references in that they think they see, why not? I have to be free in my mind. I ha have to be able to put everything down and then it has to be puzzled together and some puzzle pieces just fall off the table. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just not a fan of having to write at all. Like, okay. I mean, I chose to be a visual artist because I could communicate better visually yeah. than I do in text. If I wanted to be a writer, well, then I would have chosen to be a writer. So yeah. I'm just not a fan of the whole thing. But mm -hmm. the fact is we have to do it these days. Like, so yeah. that's just not an option. We have to do it for residencies. We have to do it for granting. Do you, have you applied for any grants? Have you gotten any yeah, grants? I got some grants, yeah. But not, not, not hundreds of grants, but a few. <laughs> Okay, uh, the hundreds of grants is ridiculous. I don't know anybody's career that has hundreds no, of grants. I mean, the 
the couple of grants that I got, they were not too much actually based on text, the text, <laughs> on a text, on a statement, because it was, uh, one of them was an, a drawing price for a grant for draw, drawings, architectural drawings or drawings that have, a, have an architectural touch. And so I just basically, it was the work itself. Uh, I, I don't even remember if I had to write a statement for that. It was probably, it was an anonymous. I don't remember that, but it was actually a big grant. I really liked it. It was the Gustav Peichel Preis for architectural drawing in Vienna. And Gustav Peichel, he died one or two years ago. There, I didn't need it, a text, but... Uh, and the other grant I got was for an animation a movie that was animated and the story itself was very important, what I said in that story, but yeah. And other things, yeah, it needs to be shorter than you think. It needs to be, be more precise than you think and the, the focus needs to be there. I think that is important. And the people on the other side of the table that read it, <laughs> when you send it in, they have to find your idea great, but also the way you describe it. It needs to be. It needs to be very clear, I think, and it needs to. They need to see the need of why, why you did something, why your work is more. Oh, I cannot say important. Why your work in that competition is the right work. <laughs> why your work is worthy of their support yeah and why you should work on on it well but okay that question right there that point of why is to me one of the most important things that i think a lot of younger artists are not putting enough time and i don't mean young by age i mean young mm -hmm. by just like the amount of time they've been creating yeah. they don't put enough thought and effort and and uh work into understanding why they create whatever they create. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an incredibly important balancing act. I mean, you have to have good craftsmanship and good skills and, and, and yeah. all this, but balancing in that strength of a why I find to be one of the most important things that is not as common these days. I think it, it has to be in your guts that you have the need to be creative. Every artist has uh, once in a while, I would say, a phase where they reflect on what they do and where they ask themselves, do I really have the need to be an artist? Do, does anybody need my work? <laughs> Is it important? Does it change anything in the world? I think if you start reflecting, you would stop right away. <laughs> It has to be in your guts in a way. You have to be, you have to need, you have to feel the need to produce something. You have to feel the need to create something to uh, like the process. You have to have a, you have to have love to your work, I guess. And otherwise, why do you do it? Then, I mean, of course, yeah, people have business as an artist, business running. They, it, it can also become a machinery, but these people still need to have the need to go on with their work. Otherwise, if they have enough, uh, if they have succeeded enough, some of them make breaks until they feel the need again to produce something. 
Certainly. How quickly do you produce work? So like uh, you say right now you're working on like your A3 size pieces. How long does it take you to make a single piece? Drawings. And with drawings, I mean really something that doesn't have too many layers, no, no material layers, just this one material and a pen or a brush. A drawing doesn't need me that long because drawing is a very fast medium for my for my part other people they have other techniques of draw drawing something they they need days but for me drawing is something that happens very quick so for a drawing i would say an average from idea to producing it it can be 10 minutes but it can also be three hours but not like 10 days Okay, just to be clear, because I feel like you're feeling defensive, like I'm somehow going to judge you on this. I'm not, okay? No. The reason why I'm asking mm -hmm. is I'm getting to the point of, I feel like these days, again, so like this is about the fact that I'm sort of coming back into the art world and, and realizing that things have changed since I was young, mm -hmm. that I feel like there's this almost a need to be much much more productive that it, because of social media and websites okay. and like that the, the art world seems to be going and moving so much faster okay. that i feel like there's this immense pressure to make more faster i actually don't think in these cate uh, categories i i never ask myself too much about how long do i need i actually enjoy the process like when I say I, I start a ser new series where I want to have A3 collages, I sometimes give myself two months. I say to myself, hey, in these two months, I want to produce 10 good small collages. I just, I just frame my time, but it's not about producing fast and a lot. But still, in, in one part of my brain, a little bit, there is a pressure in that direction. Of course, you're right. And this has to, this has to deal, this deals with the outside art world. Like you cannot be unproductive or so. But at the same time, sometimes I have really two months or three months where I didn't hold a pen. And then it comes over me and then it isn't the pressure that we talked about. It's not the internet pressure or the artwork pressure. It's my own pressure because I really feel sad when I don't produce something for my for, for myself. I want to I wanna feel productive and it also gives me so much joy. It's a little bit esoteric, but it makes me so happy and it, it gives me so much satisfaction. And then I also feel the need to be productive in quick in quick time and have also these 10 pieces in my hand. It, yeah, this is just satisfying. <laughs> Some people need two or three or five years for a film. I come from a photography background where it's standard to work in series. Like the, you produce a body of work and then you put that body of work out. I know that a lot of painters and sculptors and stuff, they just do sort of one piece at a time and it's not thought of as a series, but retroactively they can easily lump together things but from a time period or from a medium or from an influence or something so you intentionally create series i have to say no <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to be like that i wanted to uh, think in series start the series work on it finish the series and then the next one but i'm i'm a person that reads 
four books at the same time. Like I have four books that I started and then I have to remind myself, hey, come on, finish this one book and then go to the other. Is This is more this is this has more a system and this doesn't overwhelm your brain and at the same time i'm like that with my art pieces i have three half finished sculptures but these three sculptures they have to be done in one month they have to be finished and when i see the end i then i start to of course uh, work systematically but at the same time i have like uh, i have uh, already started this other series so I, I'm I'm too much. I do too much things parallel. Also, it's also a time problem. I mean, you know, we have COVID nineteen crisis. Uh, my child is not at the kindergarten. We both work from home. My yeah, my partner is uh, also working from uh, somewhere else. But it's also a time question. How can you reorganize yourself better <laughs> in this situation? Yeah, but at, but nevertheless, I'm I'm also uh, always working at two things at the same time and then that's totally normal i do the same thing totally normal yeah right i mean because i i feel like if i'm focused too much on one thing yeah i get too far into it i get i get obsessed with it in some way so like you need sometimes you just need a break like what i do is i often have Mm -hmm. one series that's very emotional and expressive and then i have a different series that i'm doing that's just almost like technical practice more or less or like i'm just i'm just honing my skills in in and Mm -hmm. it has less emotive Mm -hmm. kind of involvement in it so you know if i feel like i don't want to work on an emotional thing on that given day i can work on a technical thing and if Mm i feel like i'm competent with my technicals i can do the more expressive works so it's very common for artists to be working on at least two different things yeah exactly and also uh the point of your process where are you in your process when i'm in an idea process when i'm thinking about what kind of sculpture will i build for that exhibition then I like to be uh, distracted here and there, then to work on the collage, and then suddenly I get a very spontaneous idea, some some object that I want to add to my sculpture, and then I find that object online, buy it, combine it. So the the process of getting the idea, I love to be distracted. At. But then when, when it's clear to me, hey, this object is finished now in my head and the materials are there, the execution can be very fast and in a blocked time, like you say, in three days, I go three, three days to this workshop and there I finish it like each day, six hours. And then I think the object is done or you give, you give your construction drawing to somebody who, who executes it. But yeah. So it also depends on at which part of your process you are, for me. Well, actually, you bringing up a fabricator sort of makes me start wondering mm-hmm. about, like, my from my experiences, okay, in the United States, where I was trained and raised and all this, basically, like, you have to self-fund your own creation of your artwork. So basically, you put down some money, you, you buy some materials, get a space, whatever you need to do. You produce something, you sell something. 
okay. then from the income from the sale, you then basically reinvest in more materials or bigger space or whatever, and then you make more. Mm -hmm. I find that in Europe, it's a little different than that. I find that oftentimes it's things like you get a grant or some place that financially supports you in some way to invest in the materials in, in the beginning. And so like, there's almost this mm -hmm. not a necessity to sell. Mm -hmm. because it's already because the materials and maybe even the time has already sort of been paid for through some grant or some sort mm -hmm. of funding mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah. is this your experiences i don't know about the funding possibilities in america too much in the u.s too much but of course i know that here in europe especially in germany austria switzerland and uh, France, I don't know too well about, but in, in, in many European countries, there is, you have to say, so much money uh, saved for artists, for grants, for, uh, yeah, and, and also especially in Germany. So how does, does that influence the working process? I think it's also good, or we also have an advantage that we don't, Many, many people don't have such a high university. What is it called? This money that you have to pay back? Student loans. Student loans and stuff that makes you feel, I think many feel more safe with that, that they think, hey, if my work doesn't sell, but the topic is important for the art, for the art world and I get funded, you can go on with it for a few years. But yeah, in... And then if the time of getting grant, grants end and you're not that successful enough, then maybe you rethink about being an artist. Yeah, it's a different system. I mean, I also know an American artist that has to pay so much money back to the, to the university that the person studied at. And, and this person also wants to sell the work and don't doesn't think about all the time getting money for for, <laughs> for uh, producing uh. oh i'm that person i'm still i'm 20 years out of school and i'm still paying back my students oh really loans. okay this is yeah but this is kind of normal right this is kind of normal in the u.s or sadly it is normal yes i mean even if you are a lawyer you still pay until you're 45 or <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, the theirs is substantially higher than mine, but their income is substantially higher than mine. So yeah, yeah. that's a little yeah, what different. What does that make with you or with? Yeah. How 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 does it change your artistic process? Well, that's what sort of what I'm trying to figure out is because like I come from where like basically you have to earn the money yeah. to buy more materials like you like you described in the beginning yeah yeah whereas in europe i have found oftentimes a lot of artists that i know they are either mm -hmm. given or or gifted or or through a grant um, a studio space or materials mm -hmm. or things yeah. like this that they don't need to worry about that so like yeah. they can just use as much material as they want because they yeah. didn't have to pay for it you know whereas yeah. like yeah. People like me, I'm, I, I, anytime I use a material, I'm sitting there going like, yep, that's a Euro. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, a Euro. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. something I have to go buy again. And yeah. like, if I screw it up, I'm like, well, that's all that money down the mm -hmm. drain. Mm -hmm. 
but I feel like this is not normal in Europe. I think I feel like in yeah. Europe the, there is such a good, strong funding supports that you have you all have a, a, a literal sort of a different mindset about mm -hmm. the even the act of creation. What I always or often heard and what people told me about their colleagues that became famous artists, I was told that they had a good work, they produced good art pieces that really had potential. But at the same time, it was very important to apply for everything that there is on the application market grants stipends uh, whatever material stipend material grants everything it seems to me that it's actually part of the professional of being a professional artist to hard cop apply on all of these things otherwise you're like stupid why don't you and and also it pushes people it pushes people if you get one or the other grant you go you can go on and and you're you have a longer list of success in your cv and this is actually i have the feeling this is one column of being an artist but i didn't see it as you described like in europe it's a column of being an artist in europe only but yeah. oh it's absolutely being in europe i mean okay. america is america is well it's it's like we all envision America, basically the top tier artists, of course, they get support. Mm -hmm. The people that are just beginning sort of the bottom level artists, yeah. they get lots of support to try and elevate them. Oh, it's okay. everybody in the middle that uh -huh. struggles. Okay. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a very interesting sort of wide gap of separation of support. So mm -hmm. Younger artists, beginning career artists, they get lots of support. And of course, established artists get yeah. lots of support, but everybody in the middle. Yeah. No. I mean, here there's a little bit of similarity. After uh, many grants, you can only get until you're 35 or until you're 40. Okay, there is also, I think, sense in it. Uh, but some friend told me that, that it's uh, also very important for the middle rent, like, the, the people in the middle that you talked about, that they get a professorship until they are 40 or from the day of their 40, because that is then the thing that, that is then their, the, the, the money that they need to, to pay everything, to pay rent and so on, because the grants get less. After 40, I think it's more the, well, but we have so many grants in Germany, Austria, and so on. This is, I mean, I think there are even many grants that you can get when you're after 40. And oh, yeah. Germany, I don't know about Austria, but Germany is very supportive of the arts yeah. and but artists. It's also a lot of work to do these applications. We have assistance. You can do it quicker. <laughs> well, I spoke with somebody who's from mm -hmm. Mexico that's in Berlin, and, and I know somebody from Brazil that's in Berlin, and they... Yeah. It, they do it, it and, and Berlin is very supportive of uh, you know expat artists. Yeah, that's true. I have a feeling it. less with locals. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Well, I, I don't know about that too much either. Last question. Income. Like, how do you juggle the income issues? You know, because like a lot of artists will do other side jobs to bring income in and then their art also brings some um so like are you living a hundred percent from your artwork 
I have two or three things that make my living and one of them is to sell my own art like I mean this doesn't have uh, happen 10 times in a month but it happens a, a few times a year that I sell my own pieces especially smaller pieces <laughs> uh, because the smaller pieces just are very easy to hang <laughs> and then the other thing is that I am also a studio assistant for a female artist that has a big studio and that is also let's say a very known and I uh, work for her in uh, in the drawing department I would say I, I uh, help her produce things and then the third thing is that I also of course apply for grants or for for stipends grants and and the fourth the fourth basket is something totally different, but it's it's it doesn't have anything to do with art, and it's also not a job. It's just something that gives me some security. You have to you have to think about how you invest money. <laughs> well, it's also about investments of time as well, because you also have to be a, hus a wife and a mother. Yeah, so there are other. There are some things that just do where you don't have to put a lot of energy in and it's still working. And then there are other things like applications. I have to say they take a lot of time. They can take a lot of time. If you're very, very good organized, it can also be very easy to do. But producing art, this, this is actually something where I have to put where I have to uh, remember myself to put more uh, focus on. Because this is actually the thing I love most. And yeah. And the studio work, I don't do it full time, of course. I do it half, uh, part time, let's say. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing about like the applying for whatever it is grants, residencies, mm. all this kind of stuff. I really, really wish that they would come up with some standardized way of doing those applications. I am so tired of mm. going to a grant application or a residency application. And Every single one of them uses their own vernacular. They use their own vocabulary. They use their own, and then they have their own unique questions that you have to answer every single one. They, even mm -hmm. if they're asking for the same thing, yeah. every single time I go, they say, oh, give us an artist statement. And one of them okay. says it can be 2,500 words. Another mm -hmm. one says it has to be 250 yeah. words. Like, why can't they just come up with some standardized things to yeah. make our lives easier instead of more difficult? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably right. But I also know a lot of artists that have like their modulars. They have like, it. everything is already finished. You just have to change a few things. And then you have the short text, you have the middle long text, you have the very long text. So yeah, this is, and you have to adjust all of these things. And then once in a while you have to correct it. And, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a process. I mean, what I was, the last thing that I want to add to this is for an artist, it is like you would apply for a new job every month. 
Well, okay. But the problem with that is, is okay, so let's say you're talking about creating a template thing that mm -hmm. you just can sort of regurgitate uh, application on application. It doesn't always work. The ones that I hate the most, and I, I feel like I'm such a, like a negative person right now, but it's fine. The ones I hate the most are the ones where they say, yes, we have this residency and it's available in a year and a half to two years from now what will you produce when you come here? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't know what I'm producing tomorrow. How the hell am I supposed to know and eloquently write about what I'm going to produce two to two and a half years from now? Yeah, it is paradox. It is. Yeah. But I can't even eloquently write about work I have completed, much less eloquently write about work I hope to make. Matthew, it's it's also a game. It's a game. I mean, if you if you want to have this residency, you have to play the game. You have to think about what you will produce in two years for that specific area or residency. And I know. I just <laughs> wish there were. I wish there. Uh, no. Okay. I'm fine with accepting that it's a game. I wish the rules were clearer. Okay. This is fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm perfectly, I, I understand that all of it's a game, all jobs, all careers, they're all games. Yeah. Or jungles, jungle where you have to find a way through. Yeah. But the problem is, is that I feel like the markers, the goalposts, the, uh, the acceptings, the approvals of grants and residencies, whatever, they are continually moving targets. And yeah. so the, there's, there's no consistency to the rules or the, the, the way to play. Like, do you play dirty? Do you play like clean? Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah. do you, do you like, here's one that I ran into American artists in general, when they write statements, they, they are seen as sort of cheerleaders and very they use lots of adjectives to describe their work they're like uh oh, this is this is my eloquent this and my my effervescent that and whatever whereas in europe it's very they want very clean and clear consistent less adjectives more description mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i mean that's a simple thing of like it's the exact same process it's a grant in europe it's grant in america mm -hmm. but in america they want you to use lots of adjectives and, and sort of say how great you are and show yourself mm -hmm. off mm -hmm. whereas in europe they want it to be mm -hmm. very humble and straightforward and not arrogant yeah this is the mentality the, I, I don't know the mentality difference but between how how you have to present yourself to get somewhere <laughs> i don't know i mean what you just said about the text like the putting in the adjective i i felt like yeah this is why i ask uh, another person to get my text straight so that it that it is more clear and that it is more straight or yeah that my idea comes through i cannot imagine how it is to be an artist in the us so uh, probably if i would was born there uh, i wouldn't chose to have this job but i mean you can also have a second profession you could also be a primary school teacher and do art or a professor or a professor <laughs> i think you're a podcaster yeah this too <laughs> so yeah i really enjoyed this conversation and there are many things to rethink about <laughs> It's hard. I mean, the, the bottom line is, is like, 
there's no standard anything. And this is what I, the more I, people I talk to and the more, the wider the reach of the people I talk to, the very different nature, even though everybody thinks that the arts world is a global thing, it's really not. It's very localized and it's very specific to its regions uh, mm -hmm. in the way that it's handled or dealt mm -hmm. with or, or worked in and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I find hearing more about the variety of these things is actually beneficial to me because mm -hmm. then I go, okay, the reason why I didn't get that grant when I applied in uh, Norway is because it, it, the Norwegians wanted a very particular thing that me from America was unaware of. So like yeah. when somebody thinks to apply to a residency or a grant or funding or any sort of thing, they, they don't, shouldn't be thinking about themselves, but they should mm -hmm. be thinking a, to a certain extent about who the people who are going to be reading it is. I think this is a key point of successfully applying for something or to say it better for successfully getting the funding. This is a key thing of it. You should always have this in your mind. <laughs> I mean, I also, I, I talk like I would get any funding, but uh, there were times where we, re where I wasn't uh, working with a group where we really needed the production cost for a, for a publication. And then I always, I was mostly uh, saying I would like to do the uh, application. Anytime I applied for that specific project, I had to think about who are we writing to and what point of the project is more important to them. But at, on the other hand, the people that chose, they also have reasons why they choose somebody. I think there are also national interests. Very big issue, actually. And what looks good and what not. Let's take somebody from there because then it looks more diverse. Let's Or let's not take somebody from there because we have too many. <laughs> so there are also thoughts on that. It has to be a package of things that... Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is one of my pet my pet peeve about all this stuff. And this is the, why, the reason why I feel like I'm not good at it is because we go through all this effort. We write these applications for whatever and we get one of two answers we either get yes you receive it and you don't know what you did or how you wrote it that somehow convinced them they don't tell you they just say yes mm -hmm. you get the thing yeah. or no you don't get the thing and you don't know what you did wrong so mm -hmm. you don't know how to do it better next time you have to have a couple of people that are your in a way, your correctors that read your thing and then they tell you why. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't just mean friends. I mean really people that um, have another perspective on that. That, uh, yeah. I, I, for example, let's say I applied in Norway. Then I would probably ask my friend that often spends time in Helsinki, which is not Norway, which is Finland. Finland but I would ask him like why do you think they didn't take me and maybe he has a little bit more clue about that because he lived for so long in Scandinavian countries or something so you always have to have a kind of an expert to ask for feedback or something I, I like I'm a feedback person I I liked actually considering I liked actually to yeah 
in my process to ask other people, but now I spend more time on my own working, let's say it like that. And I deal more uh, with deciding on my own, which is also a nice experience, but I actually like to ask other people. So you need your experts. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing I keep running into is, is that there's this romantic idea of the, the artist, I'm putting this in air quotes, yeah. that sits in their studio and produces a thing and then they put the thing into the world and then the world just says, oh my God, this is magnificent, I'm gonna buy it, yeah, great. And they love you. But that's not true. The art world is everybody in the art world. The artists, once an artist makes a piece of art and puts it into the public, then they need a curator to somehow connect it to somebody or a gallery to then sell it to somebody or um, a, a critic to, to somehow come to the exhibition and say, oh, this is amazing and somehow you know elevate it. So I mean, it's not just the artist. The artist is just one cog in the entire art yeah. world and it takes all these other people to connect the work to the right people yeah that's true and i would like to add another actually another positive side to uh, another positive face of to that these people that you talk about they can also motivate you they can also say wow this series is so great i think i really have to ask you to do more you should keep on doing that series and uh I would like to uh, present it to a friend of mine who loves works like that. So it can also be a motivator, like an engine that makes you go further with one idea or the other. So it can also be very good that not you as an artist do that and that the outside world is also motivating you. and. Oh yes, it's very important. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think it, that artists just sit in their studio, they make something and they put it in the world and it's either accepted or it's not. But there are many other people involved in that yeah. in a positive way that they they are necessary and helpful and can be supportive and you know mm. make you uh, better. Yeah, but I think this is an essential for a few professions or many professions. You always need people that support you and show you somebody else or give you advice or uh, make you connect to other people that would support you. So you, you need, uh, you need a, an environment that also is there to help you become bigger or go further. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, I hope <laughs> we meet each other again. <laughs>